In the sports world, nobody is above criticism, it would seem. You can say just about anything about anybody. The hotter the take, the better. And in MMA, that's no different. Fans can be ruthless. And it's becoming more and more a part of the culture of the sport online as the kids love their memes nowadays. But that doesn't mean that there aren't still certain figures, certain things that are beyond reproach. Sacred cows, if you will, that you wouldn't dare say anything bad about lest you be ostracized into deleting all your social media. These are the figures and organizations that are so beloved, or were during a certain time, that they're basically untouchable. A bad word spoken about them immediately dismissed or attacked, and any critical thought we might have about them placed in the back of our minds. I'm Tommy from MMA On Point, and these are 10 Sacred Cows in Mixed Martial Arts. Number 10, Ronda Rousey. Okay, now obviously this has changed, which is why she's number 10. It's almost the opposite today. What's a reverse sacred cow? A desecrated moose, I don't know. But whatever it is, it's Ronda Rousey. People go in on her and trash her legacy all the time now. It's very common to see in the MMA community as well as the larger mainstream audience after her two losses. Within the more hardcore fan base and among the MMA media, I think some of the absolute 180-like takes that we saw after her losses were a result of that period where she was essentially untouchable. There were things to criticize, things that everybody would jump on after the fact, after she fell from grace, saying, oh, she fell in love with her striking and got arrogant. Her coach doesn't know what he's doing. She had this toxic attitude. All of these things that would just come out in a massive flood of criticism once it looked as if she'd been knocked off her pedestal. But for those few years when she was at the very top of the game, between her ravenous fan base and the larger mainstream audience that fell in love with Rousey, you spoke up about things at your own peril. I mean, how many pieces were done and interview questions asked to everybody at that time about whether Ronda would beat Floyd Mayweather in a fight? And if you had anything to say about any holes you might have seen in her game, it was either met with ridicule or laughter. She was tearing through everybody. Yes, she did have her detractors and fans that could not stand her, but the larger audience simply did not feel that way. But once she stopped tearing through everybody, that broader MMA audience pounced on her. But her sacred cow status was very strong during her peak. Number 9 the Gracie family. A lot of fighters and fans came into MMA because of the Gracies. It's just a fact. Whether you were inspired by those early UFCs, or maybe you saw a documentary about Hickson called Choke, perhaps you trained jiu-jitsu in the many gyms that share a lineage that goes all the way back to the Gracie clan. Whatever the case, a good amount of people in the community have an affinity for the sports first family, as do the Gracies themselves, who are perhaps some of the best marketers mixed martial arts has ever seen. Marketing of themselves that at times feels a bit embellished. Just don't say that in the wrong circles. You can say that UFC 1 was almost curated perfectly for Hoist to win. You can talk about the suspect fight record of Hickson, or how the family portrays the story of Elio versus Kimura, or how many of their bouts had to be fought under very specific rules. He was allowed to grab Eddie's clothes, but Eddie wasn't allowed to grab his clothes. It, they were the most ridiculous rules. And if not, or something didn't go their way, like when the ref stopped the Sakuraba fight with Hoyler, that didn't count as a loss because he never actually gave up. The official intervened. Henzo stepped on that guy's neck after beating him. There's a lot you could say about the great family and point out. And while there are certainly those willing to do so, many in the sport still just prefer the mythology of the family and won't entertain anything else really, because for them, the good outweighs the bad. And this is a sacred cow status that's not
not likely to ever change, as their legacies are firmly cemented, and it's still very much the case for a lot of fans. Number 8. Chuck Liddell If there is anybody more beloved in MMA than Chuck Liddell, the list is very short. He was a foundational part of a lot of fans' viewing experience as he peaked in 2006, when the tough boom was really starting to pay dividends. He was one of the first fighters I can remember fans hoping would retire for his own good, as opposed to our usual unending bloodlust. And for the 2000s, that's really saying something, because we didn't give a fuck back then. CTE? CTD's nuts in your face, am I right? <laughs> I'm sorry. Back to the point, Chuck is untouchable. After his loss to Rashad Evans, some tried to bring up that Liddell's style was maybe a bit too dangerous for this era, that the sport had passed him by, that he left himself too open, that maybe now was the time to try to utilize his wrestling offensively. But this type of talk was largely met with, hey, it was one punch. Look how much success he's had prior to this. Any knock on his style was never met with positivity. Only Joe Rogan could ever say anything negative, but it was usually directly after a fight and it seemed to be coming from a place of friendship. Then later after he retired and gained that beloved status that only nostalgia can bring, Chuck could say anything. I could beat John Jones in his prime. All right, I probably don't believe you, but I'm not gonna bash it. Look at Liddell being all confident. That's awesome. On a more serious note, when that domestic incident happened in 2021, before we even knew any details about the fact that Chuck was the victim and people began to assume he might not be, there were a lot of voices saying, no, not Chuck, no way the Iceman could do something like that. Before we even knew what happened, that sentiment was popular. And it really is a testament to the high esteem that the MMA community holds Chuck Liddell. Number seven, Scott Coker. This is one I've experienced personally, as for many years now on my Tommy Twitter account, I've been a bit trollish with Scott Coker's Bellator. All in good fun though, of course, just for the lulls and such. I do think that Coker is a fantastic promoter. There's no denying that. And as a leading figure in the sport, between Strikeforce and what he's done since with Bellator, the only reason there's a strong MMA market in the United States outside the UFC is most definitely in large part attributed to Scott. He's one of the most important figures the sport has ever had, and by so many accounts, he's a great dude. I mean, what fighter has ever had anything bad to say about Coker? To many, he's the anti-Dana, if you will. And it's actually because of that, however, that he's been pretty immune to criticism that would absolutely be levied at White and the UFC. There are fighters still making 2,000 to show on Bellator cards in 2022. And if you bring it up, it seems like people make excuses for it versus the UFC where they absolutely dogpile. Let's not pretend that the promotion is some small operation. They're owned by Paramount Global, which in 2021 had total assets of $58 billion. Endeavor only had $11 billion in that same year. So if we're going to talk about how bad Ari and Dana are, why are we pretending that Bellator's parent company is running out of Scott Coker's basement? What about their super lax testing? Nobody seems to really care. Or their freak show fights. A lot of fans just say, oh, that's good marketing. Well, why is it bad when the UFC does it then? By the nature of them being the underdog to the UFC, Bellator and Scott Coker earned a spot on our list, as people are very willing to dismiss a lot of things in hopes that the number two can in the future compete with the number one. Number six, Mirko Krokop. It's a funny thing who we choose to condemn forever for things versus those who get a pass. Floyd Mayweather will never escape his domestic violence charges, and in my opinion, rightfully so. But why is Mike Tyson now a beloved figure when he was convicted of SA? And if that's two apples to oranges for you, JBJ will carry his domestic incident around with him forever, but Stone Cold Steve Austin has pled no contest to domestic abuse charges before, and everybody wants to have a beer with the rattlesnake. What about PEDs? Vitor Belfort's legacy, especially his late career, is pretty much only spoken of as it relates to his elevated testosterone. But a fighter like Krokop gets caught with HGH in 2015, and we make all the excuses in the world for him. Oh, well, it was late in his career, and he said it was because of an injury. You know, it wasn't as if Mirko was looking like a fucking Terminator his entire career while he was kicking people's heads off. But hey, Pride didn't do any testing. We only 
care about the fighters that got tested and failed. Look, I'm not trying to shit all over Crow Cop. He's one of my all-time favorite fighters, but he absolutely belongs on this list because his legacy is just not scrutinized, seemingly at all, and simply for the fact that he's so beloved. Not for the potential for PEDs, not the drop-off in the UFC, not his unexpected late career resurgence that happened, mind you, after he skirted that USADA suspension and just went back to Japan. Like I said, I love Crow Cop as much as anybody, but our lack of criticism about his career because we enjoy him so much makes him a prime MMA sacred cow. <laughs> Number five, Joe Rogan. Now, very recently, Joseph James Rogan has become a bit of a lightning rod for controversy, both in and outside the MMA community. And while it's been open season on Joe, the consistent backlash has created a subgroup of fans who are his biggest and most vocal defenders. Funny enough, though, back in the day, pretty much everybody in MMA was like that. Joe Rogan was about as sacred a cow as we had, with nearly everyone in the community treating him like our special little boy. He was essentially untouchable. As one of the most prominent and beloved figures in the sport, Joe has a very deep connection to the MMA experience for many fans. So when any outside force had criticism for something Joe had said or done, the MMA community would pounce on them. Get the hell out of here with your stupid thoughts. And for the longest time, criticizing Joe's commentary in any way, taking issue with something he said about a fighter or something he said on his podcast, even within the community, was not met with pats on the back and cheering like it might be now. Most usually there was either straight up dismissal of the idea entirely or oddly passionate blowback. It just wasn't a great way to make friends in MMA. And while in recent years Joe has taken a larger role in societal discourse, which has opened him up to a lot more criticism, before then he was one of the untouchables in the MMA community. A guy who, if you were planning on critiquing, you better be ready for some serious opposition. Number four, the Diaz brothers. Okay, look, I love the Diaz brothers as much as anybody ever. I've been a huge fan ever since I knew they existed. I mean, how could you not be? They're the definition of entertainment. They're brash, unpredictable, exciting in the cage. They've just got something that captures a huge chunk of the MMA audience's imagination. My entire existence is largely due to doing impressions of them. So if there's anybody on the sacred cow worship side of this one, it's absolutely me. But that doesn't mean I can't step back and see that any criticism of the brothers is met with a pretty harsh reaction. Be that if you're discussing their legacy or any number of other issues that have come up. Like, why was Nick given a title opportunity after the loss to Carlos Condit? Hell, you can't even say that he lost to Condit. You'll get Diaz 125'd. Nate was thrown in with Leon Edwards, a top welterweight that should have been fighting for a title by that time, and it was coming off a pretty tough loss to Jorge Masvidal that happened two years previous. It's absurd when you think about it. Remember that whole random weird USADA thing where Nate was flagged right before the Jorge fight and it got resolved in like two seconds? Most of us were just like, yeah, okay, awesome, because it's Nate. If that were John Jones, my God, it would have been pandemonium and followed him forever. But with Nate, it's like, eh, it never happened. They're pretty much untouchable with fans. Win, lose, whatever their performance, any controversies, Nobody wants to hear about that shit. If you got something negative to say about the Diaz brothers, keeping it to yourself is probably your best bet, unless you want internet fights all day. Number three, Prime Fedor. What's really unique about Fedor's status in his prime as a sacred cow is that he had several things going for him that immunized him to criticism. There was, of course, his insane win streak. And when somebody is winning like that and that often, good luck throwing any kind of negativity out there. People are just not about it. It'd have been like talking shit about the Bulls in the 90s. It's like, okay, yeah, but they're winning, so shut up. Up. The other thing that really bolstered his position with fans, especially ones in the United States, is that he was every MMA hipster's favorite fighter. Because all those stupid tough noobs, they didn't know shit about Pride FC. Oh, you're a big MMA fan? You started watching after the Ultimate Fighter? Tell me about when Fedor won the 2004 Heavyweight GP and became the greatest fighter in the world. Oh, that's right, you can't because you didn't even know that MMA existed then. You probably think Kimbo Slice could beat up Fedor, you dumbass. And because of this incredible combination of his dominance and somewhat underground status with a new mainstream MMA audience, 
You were going to shake the hornet's nest if you started talking bad about Fedor. Squash matches, freak show fights, the state of some of his opponents when they fought, like Mark Coleman. Didn't matter. Nobody wanted to hear about it. He beat Nogueira. He beat Crow Cop. Fedor is MMA god. He's the best to ever do it. And while that overreaction to any talk about him would fade as he ended his Strike Force run and went into the twilight decade of his career, you'd still be hard-pressed to find many a fan that will tolerate any Fedor slander on the timeline. Number two, GSP's legacy. With Anderson Silva and John Jones having, in the eyes of many fans, tainted legacies, Jones far more than the spider, George St. Pierre has been held up as the shining beacon of MMA greatness, on the top of many fans' GOAT list for that very reason. He dominated against some very strong competition, and he did it without controversy. He was all class from start to finish, never failed a drug test, he's what everyone in MMA should strive to be. He is the blueprint to follow, and while I do agree that he is one of the best to ever do it, and he did it in a way very few ever could, I think because we hold him on such a high pedestal, it is rare that you see anybody take any kind of shot at some of the more potentially complicated aspects of his legacy, and I think that's largely because of the fear of backlash, in particular the accusations by several of his opponents that GSP used PEDs during his career. It's not a new narrative from St. Pierre's opposition. BJ Penn said it, Nick Diaz, even Michael Bisbee, the argument largely focusing on the physique of the longtime welterweight champion. Many are quick to dismiss it, as GSP never failed any tests in his career, and in the latter portion was a strong advocate for better testing, but the idea that an athlete might be using PEDs, any athlete, is certainly not far-fetched. Then there was Greasegate, which, of course, St. Pierre's Corner was cleared of doing intentionally, but Vaseline was applied, that part of the story is true. The way in controversy with the Diaz fight, we've covered that one many times here. Look, I'm certainly not saying I agree that any of this stuff holds weight, but the point of this list is that even bringing it up is frowned upon, and to most fans, GSP's legacy is untouchable and not up for scrutiny. Number one, Pride FC. Pride never die. It's something all of us have written on our MMA hearts. We look back so fondly on that era in which Pride FC dominated the sport. I mean, who among us hasn't played the promotion's theme music on repeat while crying in bed for a few hours? I know I have. Pride FC was so awesome. All the incredible talent, the pageantry, the scope and scale of everything, 10-minute opening rounds, yellow cards for stalling, soccer kicks and knees to the head on the ground, Sakuraba versus the Gracies, Fedor versus Crow Cop, Fandy's Run, Gomi, Freak Shows, Giant Trophies, the GPs, the commentary teams, and of course those incredible crowds. I mean, what was not to love? Well, a lot of stuff actually, but most people simply don't want to hear it. Pride has taken on mythically perfect status in the eyes of a lot of fans, and so yeah, they don't care about the fact that Guy Mesker was basically going to be forced to continue fighting Sakuraba in extra rounds because the Japanese star couldn't beat him in the allotted time, so Pride changed it, and when he refused, he lost. They don't care about the ridiculous lack of actual title bouts for their champions, the fixed fights, the squash matches. The pageantry was great, but at times, it was way too much. Sure, it's fun to look back on, but if you go through a whole show, it could get pretty exhausting. Oh yeah, and of course, the Yakuza's involvement and alleged extortion of fighters and managers, sometimes at gunpoint. But everybody generally finds organized crime stories cool, so even that is a hard sell. The point is, Pride is so beloved that you wouldn't find too many folks willing to listen to anything negative you might have to say about it. I'm Balian from Around Point, and yes, we are finally here in our brand new office. Let's go check it out. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to our MMA Challenge of the Week. Today, I'm joined by the greatest referee in the world, Mr. Mark Goddard. Would, I would punch him straight in the back of the fucking head. That's right, a brand new channel with brand new content. Welcome to Fight Front, the home of personality-driven MMA. Today, it's an MMA challenge where I take the worst rated UFC character in UFC Undisputed 3 
all the way to the heavyweight championship of the world. And I'm reacting to Colin McGregor. Make sure you scroll on down and hit subscribe because you do not want to miss all the new content coming your way on this brand new channel. And hey, it's me, Tommy Toehold, and I'm rolling around on a damn monitor. Huge shout out to Max Randall for editing this video together. Follow him on Twitter at Max underscore Randall. A big, big thank you to Ben Rosette, who provided that sweet tune you heard in the intro. Check out his music by clicking the link in the description and go give him a follow on his Instagram and Twitter page at Ben Rosette. Thanks for watching. Please give us a like and subscribe. We've got three new videos or more for you every single week. Let us know what you thought of the video in the comments below. Follow On Point MMA on Twitter and have yourself a wonderful day.